I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Stick to your job and I will do mine. If I hear you shouting for anything again, I'm going to be penalising you. This is not soccer. Is that clear? Bucky, go and get on with the game. Hey guys, it's Ari Savir and you're listening to the All Blacks Podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the All Blacks Podcast. I'm Andy Burt and I'm joined today by a man that hails all the way from Wales and just so happens to be the most capped international rugby referee in the world. Um, Nigel Owens, welcome to the show. Cheers, thanks very much. Thank you. And mate, tell me, you've just been down to Nelson your first time there. How did you enjoy uh, down south? Uh, lovely place, beautiful place. Um, and for a change, when you're in New Zealand, the sun was shining and it was quite, it was quite nice. It got a bit cold in, in the night and stuff, so quite cold for the match, actually. So it kept kept the tracksuit on, on on the sideline. But uh, it was my first time in Nelson of all the time. I think it'd be New Zealand about This is my 13th time, I think, in New Zealand officiating. Um, but I'd never been to Nelson before. I was here at the 2011 World Cup, but I refereed one game in, in Wellington and then all my other games were up up, up in the North Island. So um, it was my first time in Nelson. And i got to say, really, really beautiful, beautiful place. Um, very, very nice place. Um, I could easily see myself living in, in Nelson if if we had something similar in Wales or if it was closer to, to Wales. Really, really nice place, yeah. It's a beautiful part of the country and uh, temporary seating there took it up to 20,000 people, normally 7,000. How was the atmosphere down there? It was as good as an atmosphere I've, I've, I've seen uh, in New Zealand, to be honest with you, because, you know, you're 21,000 people there. Obviously, they were very passionate because it was the first time the All Blacks were playing a test match in Nelson. So that's always going to add a bit of excitement to everything. And also as well, they were really on the ground, you know, a proper rugby stadium where the spectators are really close to the ground and and that certainly adds to the occasion. A bit similar to what the Principality Stadium or most people will probably remember it as the Millennium Stadium back home in Cardiff is because it's such a great stadium because you're close to the ground, you can feel the spectators on the ground and add to the atmosphere and it certainly added to a wonderful atmosphere in Nelson and obviously it was, it was a wonderful test match as well, you know, some, some great tries uh, scored by, by both sides so it was, uh, it was really great to be part of the occasion. And as a referee you travelled a lot of exotic parts of the world, do you actually have much downtime to go do a bit of sightseeing as a tourist or is it all full on? Yeah, you get a bit of downtime, um, probably more so in years gone by than you do now because the time you get you now and um, get to the gym to do some, some work and you do your preparation ready for the game and um, we also have now mini camps for the referees so whilst I've been in New Zealand I've flown to Brisbane twice for a referees camp in between the games where the officials for the both weekends including the officials from Australia and New Zealand uh, get together in the camp to discuss anything that come for the game to help us prepare for the game which is hugely beneficial to us as a team of, of, of officials so the time you do that and the preparing and then you always sort of tend to, to go along to a local referee society because you know and do a bit of a Q&A and stuff like that with them and training and preparing so your week is pretty full on really but you do get a bit of downtime but um, you know after after being in New Zealand for what about 13 times now I think I've pretty much seen everything here I think as to be seen so um, yeah this week's pretty well got back from Brisbane now from the mini camp which was on Monday so flew from Nelson via Auckland to, to Brisbane got back in here very late on Monday night so then this week has pretty much gone preparing for, for Saturday really so we haven't had much time to, to do stuff. Sounds like it's your second home here anyway, so uh, not, not too much stress. Hey, we've got a segment on this show called Try or No Try, so a real good one for a referee, actually. 
So I'm going to throw a few things at you and just need to say try or no try, whether you agree or disagree. Um, I think I know the answer to this, this one already. Um, herbal tea. No try. No, yeah, property for me. Proper cup of Welsh tea. Property. There you go. Uh, second one up, CrossFit. Oh, no try. Never tried it. No, no. I'm not going to start trying that at my age. That's fantastic. Our co-host on the show is a CrossFit fiend. He does it every day of the week, so I love it. We haven't got one person saying yes to CrossFit yet, so that's brilliant. Hey, next up is Guns and Roses. I'll try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a huge heavy metal sort of rock, that heavy rock type of band, but uh, I do like sort of some of the some of the songs and stuff, as long as it's not too sort of heavy and too sort of... Um, um, Heavy metal, like, but uh, no, 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 yeah, try for Guns N' Roses. Love it, Axl Rose. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, try definitely, yeah, yeah, love it, yeah, love it. And, and The Hobbit as well, I've watched all those as well. So when, when you spend um, the best part of, what, 20, 22 hours travelling on a flight from, from Wales to, to New Zealand, you have a lot of time to watch films. So um, I watched The Lord of Rings and The Hobbit and everything. So pretty much every film that sort of newly comes out is available on, on the airline. I, I've usually watched them, so definitely a try for me on those films. Well, that would have helped you get into the country. You don't want to say at customs that you don't like Lord of the Rings. That might uh, scratch you off the list. Uh, next up, peanut butter. Try. Was, yeah, it was a no-try before until I uh, started uh, eating it and got a... I don't eat it that often, but yeah, occasionally, yeah, try. Try for that one. And uh, Game of Thrones? Try, 100%, definitely. Yeah, br br brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Like you say, plenty of time on, on the plane. And finally, mate, Wrexham Dragons. Try or no try? Wrexham Dragons? Um, you mean the rugby league side or the football side? Oh, yeah, try, yeah, because that's who I support, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we wouldn't call them Wrexham Dragons at home. We'd Wrexham, we'd, we'd call them at home, so Wrexham football, yeah, but, yeah, definitely try. Um, they're probably not the most fashionable of Welsh clubs because Swansea and Cardiff have always been the big Welsh clubs in, in one sense, um, and they're sort of been in the Premier League. Cardiff are there now, and Swansea were there for a few years, but uh, I was a, a Wrexham supporter since I was a kid, and I, and I don't know why, um, probably because they played in red and, uh, and Wales played in red, so I just sort of... And I've sort of always like being different to people, so <laughs> that's probably why. Sounds like a good reason to me. Hey, so I've done a bit of research on that and found out you do support that team, and that just brings us back to Wales and your upbringing in Wales, really. Um, just tell us a bit about your upbringing in Wales and your first rugby memory. Um, I was brought up um, in a very, very rural, small village uh, with a population of about 150 people in the whole village. Um, and it was a... It was a, 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 a massive limestone quarry there, so most of the people in the village worked in the quarry, which my dad did. Uh, and it's sort of it's right on the border between the limestone and the agricultural side of Wales and the coal mining side of Wales, which is sort of about half a mile in the other direction. So we were right in, in the middle, really. Went to a primary school of about 14 children in the whole of the, of, of the, of the primary school. Um, I'm brought up as an only child by my mum and dad in sort of a very old-fashioned rural way in one sense and uh, went to Sunday school, went to chapel um, and I couldn't speak English until I was about eight years of age. So I learnt it in school when I was five years of age. You started school then at five, at five and um, learnt English in school and most of the population in the village back then and all my family would be fluent Welsh speakers so until a couple of sort of non-Welsh speaking families moved into the village that's when I started speaking English for the first time when I was about eight years of age so um and 
the actual village I was born in, brought up in, was a soccer village. My dad played for the local soccer football team, which weren't in existence. They sort of folded out in, in the late 60s. Um, and as kids in the village, because there weren't many of us there, we'd tend to sort of kick a football about more than rugby, occasionally play rugby if a couple of my cousins or a couple of mates would come up and then be more of us. We'd, we'd play a game of sort of rugby at the bottom of the, of, of the street where I was brought up on a, on a council estate. Um, and my first memory of rugby, I would have been six, six, seven years of age. It was 1970 seven when Wales beat Scotland up in Murrayfield when Phil Bennett scored a, a wonderful try when Gerald Davis sort of jinked his way out of his own 22 it's a very very similar try to the one that the Barbarians scored against the All Blacks uh, when you know which is by many reckoning the the best try ever well this is a very similar try and Phil Bennett scores underneath the post in Murrayfield, uh, and Bill McLaren is the commentator, and it's a wonderful, wonderful try, and a wonderful piece of commentary by Bill McLaren. And I remember as a sort of six or seven-year-old watching this game at home, and then I had a brown leather rugby ball, very similar to the one that Phil Bennett scored the try with. And when he scores a try, he dabs it down underneath the post, right in the middle of the post, with a ball underneath his chin, resting on it, holding the ball. So then I go out to the field behind the house with my brown rugby ball on my own, pretending to be Phil Bennett. So that's my first memory ever, a Five Nations game back in 1977, Wales, Scotland, Phil Bennett scoring this try, and then my s going out in the field, and there were two donkeys in the field, which the local farmer had two donkeys. And I remember sort of sidestepping those donkeys and chipping over them and pretending to be Phil Bennett, doing the commentary and scoring the try down and the ball underneath my, my chin. So that's my first ever memory, really, of of rugby and I suppose I guess that's the moment really when I fell in love with with a game I guess at about I would say six seven years of age yeah. it's really amazing how those moments can inspire um, young kids isn't it for me I remember John Kerwin in the 1987 World Cup going about 100 meters against Italy weaving in and out of players and that's kind of my first memory of rugby um, but look you mentioned you grew up in a soccer village now Wales um, can you just tell us what does rugby mean to the people of Wales we're here in New Zealand, um, it's like a religion almost, it's a bit of a cliche, but Wales is very similar, isn't it? Yeah, it is very, 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 very similar. Um, and I, I, when I say soccer village, um, I would say probably most of the people in the village would be rugby people, but because there wasn't many population in the village, it was much easier to put a 11 side team together than, you know, have a rugby team and, and, and everything. So it, it was an easier game to play for a smaller population in that village. But most of the people in the village would have been rugby people as well as, as playing playing soccer. Um, and, it's, yeah, it, it is very similar. It's um, a very few countries in the world, I think. It's probably New Zealand, Wales, and then I would probably say... Um, Georgia now, for example, as well, and and probably Limerick uh, or the Munster region in Ireland, Limerick and Cork, where where rugby is more of a, a working class or, or an all class game then, and sort of traditionally over the years, and it's changing now gradually because it's becoming a sport inclusive for all, and quite rightly so as well. But if you look at many of the countries in the world, it's, rugby has been a private school or you know a grammar school game. Um, it's been a middle-class, upper-class game uh, traditionally in, in most of the countries over, over, all over the world. But in New Zealand, um, Wales and, and, as I said, in other little areas, it's, it's been a game for everybody. Like in, in Wales, it's 
the rugby clubs were built up around the working class coal communities. So uh, New Zealand and Wales are very, very similar in, in, more, in more ways than one. Not just the rugby, but I think in the, in the country itself is very similar. Uh, you know, the, 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 the rural part of the country, the farming communities, the, the mountains, the hills, the scenery, the, the, the weather. Um, you probably get a bit more sun than, than we do. So uh, very, very, very similar, really. And um, there's always been that sort of affiliation, I think, between Wales and, and New Zealand, between the Welsh people and, and the Kiwis, and, uh, and probably the spine of that probably is because of the similarity in, in not just in, in rugby, but in, but in all walks of life, I guess. Absolutely. And it, is rugby still as strong as ever in Wales currently? Yeah, it is. There's challenges, no doubt, because, you know, there are other sports now. When I was a kid growing up, you... you you went to rugby school, you played rugby. You, you didn't even play football in school. You may kick about the football on the yard, but that was about it. Um, but now there are so many other sports now um, which can make it um, a lot more choice for kids to choose. And there are probably a lot more other sports that are, that are easier to play in, in one sense than rugby. Um, but rugby is still strong in Wales. It's still the national sport. Um, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it is a challenge, and, and the challenge is not so much in getting the kids to play at the sort of, between the sort of the tag rugby or the ripper rugby, you call it over here, between the sort of age of seven, eight, up to about 16, there's a huge, huge, huge amount of population playing the game. But then holding on to them then when they become 16, 17, 18, 19, for many different reasons, people going to university, people working, some of the boys finding beer and girlfriends or some of the girls finding you know alcohol and boyfriends and you know for the girls who play rugby as well so uh, it's it's a big challenge holding on to them after that initial kids age rugby really but um you know it's, it's it's pretty healthy as far as the kids age goes but then after that it's it's, it's a continuing challenge which which the welsh rugby union are doing their best to address in in trying to keep people in the game and that's why we're looking at alternative means of rugby now where we're encouraging you know if you finish playing rugby at 32 years of age, well, if you're not going to go into coaching, if you're not going to go in on the committee, if you're not going to go into refereeing, you know, they're, they're trying to initiate other ways of rugby if you stay involved, like, you know, touch rugby and, and various different things to, to keep people in the game, really. So uh, it, is, it is a challenge. Uh, there is no doubt about that. So, um, but I think, you know, the, the passion for the game and... And what the game means to people as well, I think, is, is something you know, that we, we need to sort of hold on to and, and, and entice people to be part of the game. You just have to see Millennium Stadium for a Wales test and see 80,000 people in red packed it there to know that um, rugby still runs pretty strong through the veins there. Hey, now, on to your own refereeing journey. So um, tell us, when did you first get into refereeing? What was your first, I guess, first match you ever refereed and how did it all begin for you? Well, I got into refereeing by, by chance, really. Um, I played rugby in, in school. There was, wasn't sort of club rugby about for kids um, when I was at, at that age. Um, the sort of club rugby kids sort of came in when the, there was a big teacher strike back in the UK, back in the sort of 83, 84, and then a lot of schools stopped playing rugby after school and on Saturday mornings because the teachers were on strike because they were you know, getting, not getting paid for the extra work they were doing. Uh, so then a lot of clubs started up playing rugby then. So when I was a kid, there wasn't much club rugby about, if any, in Wales. So you played rugby through school. So I played rugby in school, um, played for the first 15, um, not, not very well. Um, I played full-back. Um, in fact, after, after one game, my, my, my rugby coach uh, compared me to the great 
Welsh fullback of the 1970s, the legendary JPR Williams, yeah, when he said, Nigel, compared to JPR Williams, you're bloody useless. <laughs> and uh, that was the trigger, really. And um, in this game, um, we hadn't won a game all year because we were quite relevant new school. We were a Welsh medium school, which meant you did your education through the language of Welsh, where the grammar schools were phased out. And you had a choice then of doing your education either through the medium of Welsh or through the medium of English. So I did my education through the medium of Welsh. Because we were a new Welsh school, we had a bare 15. Um, and that's why I was playing for the first 15, because there wasn't much other choice. And I was playing fullback, and we hadn't won a game all season. And it was the last game of the season. And we were playing against uh, Ascol Griffith Jones, a school in St. Clair's in Carmarthenshire. And one of my best mates, Wayne Thomas, was playing centre, and he scored right at the end of the game, underneath the post, to make the score 12-all. And then my other mate was a captain, Craig Bonnell, and there were two other age groups younger than us, under-13s and under-14s, were also playing that day as well in this school. So they'd finished their game a bit earlier than us because they were playing five minutes less. So they were all watching the last five minutes of our game. So I thought, right, I'll take this conversion now right in front of the post. I'll kick this. We'll win the game 14-12, and I will be a hero in school for winning the first game ever for the seniors. So I took the conversion right in front of the post, and uh, I kicked it, and it went closer to the corner post than it actually did between the uprights straight in front of me. And uh, the game ended 12-all. My, my best mate and the captain... Um, my other best mate didn't speak to me for a couple of days. My sports teacher, John Biner, the late John Biner, unfortunately, he said to me, uh, he said, Nigel, he said, for God's sake, he said, will you, will you go on referee or something? And I said, right, okay then. So um, the following week, we had a, an inter-house under 12s seven-a-side touch rugby tournament in school. Um, so I went to referee that and then refereed another local sort of under 13 school game. Uh, and that's how we started, really, uh, just by just by pure chance, just by, by missing that conversion. And um, my first ever game outside the school environment was an under-15s um, school game, uh, a county school game, uh, where a team was chosen from many different schools uh, in Carmarthen. Um, so that was my first sort of game outside the school in, environment. And then after that, uh, the following season, um, at 16 years of age, I refereed my first senior match. Um, where I refereed um, the police B division with a police side in Carmarthenshire against Kevnaithin. Kevnaithin is quite a famous rugby club in Wales because that's where Barry John came from and played his rugby before he went um, to, to the Clenetley first and then on to Cardiff. It was the club of Carwin James where he played on the coach who coached the Lions, caused the famous victory in, 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 in the Lions out here in New Zealand. And um, because I couldn't drive, I couldn't get to Kamar then, so the fixture secretary of the Referees Association said to me, look, I've arranged that you have a lift on the bus with the away team, because it's the only way I could get there, and they, were, they didn't have a referee to referee the game if I couldn't get there. So I got on the bus, got to, to Kamar then, and then about 20 minutes into the game, the police um, took umbrage to my refereeing. They didn't think I was fair and refereeing well, and... Uh, the captain of the police decided that he was going to take his team off the field. So my first experience of refereeing a senior match was the 15 policemen on the field walked off. Um, and I thought to myself, I'm a kid of 16 years of age and these are policemen, grown men, 
walking off the field because they didn't like my decisions. And anyway, um, that was my first experience of a, of a, of, of a, senior, of a senior match, really. But um, thankfully, um, I was a bit down after that game, you know. Felt really disappointed and felt a bit down, but, you know, I sort of brushed myself off and you know, a couple of people told me, look, don't give up now, keep on going. And, uh, and I kept on going and uh, here I still am 30, 31 years later. <laughs> And that's, that's really thrown into the deep end there, isn't it? But look, obviously you rebounded pretty well. And as you say, 30 years. So in that time, what are some of the biggest, cha- I guess things like video, TMO, but what are some of the biggest changes you've experienced in refereeing in the game over that period of time? Yeah, it's been a long time. I, I'm starting my 32nd season now, so um, I've experienced a huge transition in the game, really. A transition from from the old amateur days to the professional era, the transition, the... The first time where technology came in, first of all, where you had the talking flags, first of all, you know, where you could speak to the referee through the flag. Um, and then uh, when you were wired up for the first time, uh, where people could hear what you were saying. And then the video technology came in then, the, the TMO came in, and then that was announced with the protocol changed. And I think the biggest challenge now really is, is the pressure that that technology is bought to the game and bought to the referee um, there is no doubt now in the modern game that the pressure on a match official now is is massive you know it, it is huge because it's now people's livelihoods you know players coaches they are getting paid f- for what they do and the difference between a team winning the league or going being relegated or not making the playoffs or not making the semi-finals or finals or you know, getting knocked out to the World Cup. So the, the pressure now on those people playing the game is massive, but the pressure on the officials refereeing it then is, is 10 times more because um, people, when you refereed years ago and, and you got something wrong before technology and when the game was amateur, you know, people, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're only human. They, they, if it wasn't for the referee, you know, they're doing it for the love of the game. And they accepted mistakes would happen, where today they don't accept it as much. They, 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 well, they're getting paid, they're professional, they shouldn't be making mistakes, but you're still a human being, whether you're professional or not. And what technology has brought to it is that added pressure, I think. What, what, what we all want in the game is that we get the big decisions right. And technology does help you get that, because on occasions, it is humanly impossible for you as a referee or a team of three on that field to get things right the first time. It's humanly impossible. The speed of the game, or did his foot just brush the touchline before he put the ball down? So some things are, are, are impossible to get in real time. So that's what technology is there for, to help you make those decisions which you just couldn't get on the field. But what as technology has bought as well is that extra pressure in two ways. There is an expectance now from the spectators, from the players, from the coaches, that the referee is going to get everything. And if you want the referee to get everything, then you're just going to have a game that's going to be stop, start, stop, start, because there are some things that you just need to check in order to get them right. So what you want is to get the big decisions right, the ones that really matter, the ones that people look at and think, well, you shouldn't be missing that. Those are the ones you want to get and the ones that really matter. The other pressure that technology has brought is the big screen in the stadium has now doubled if not more the amount of pressure on the referee because when you refereed a game 10 years ago or even five years ago and you made a mistake you wouldn't know you made that mistake 
the players wouldn't know and probably most of the spectators and coaches wouldn't know until they watched the game afterwards. But now you make a mistake on the field, it's replayed on the big screen in the stadium and everybody knows the, the coaches, the, the players, the people in the stadium and you as yourself as a referee can see the big screen, I've got that wrong. The pressure that puts on you for the next 60 minutes in that game is massive and what you've got to do then, you've got to be strong enough as a referee to just forget that, just to say, right, I've done a mistake, I've got to move on and you've got to referee the rest of the game without letting that affect you. And that is a huge challenge and a lot of pressure. And what you do find sometimes is maybe a referee of a lesser experience or a referee who hasn't been in that situation before is if you let that get to you, it can affect the rest of your game. And what you certainly can't do is change your decision later on in the game to try and make up for that one. And if you do that, then you're finished as a referee. So you've got to forget that. You've got to move on and write, I've done a mistake, I can't change it, and I've got to referee the rest of the game and forget about it. And that puts a huge amount of pressure on, on the referee. And, and also as well, you know, it, the pressure then that the players can put on you because the players know that you've, you, you've got that wrong. But you've got to rise above that then and, and, and move on because there are some things that are outside the protocol and you know you can't check it and, and you can't do anything about that decision. So that's what technology has bought. Technology has bought... Um, it's bought occasions in the game where, yes, it's good for the game because it does help you get things right that you couldn't have got right otherwise. But it has also brought that other pressure as well and that expectation of people to get everything and you can't. If you want a referee to get everything, then you're just gonna have to get a referee to sit in the box and referee on the telly and stop the game every every 30 seconds to, to get a decision. That's right, huge pressure and as fans you can't have it all. You can't have both have it both ways. But hey look, um, in a contrast to that pressure and that, that you feel in a game. Now are there moments when you just sit back and there's an amazing try that's scored and look you're you're obviously objective, but are you just for a moment Wow, that was an amazing try, an amazing piece of skill, and I had the best seat to watch that. Um, you'd be surprised, very, very rare, because one of the biggest challenges of refereeing, a test match in particular, or any match for that um, reason, is, is your concentration and your focus. That's, that's the biggest challenge. And when you focus in, and if you're, if you're refereeing on top of your game, you'll be totally focused and, and switched on to what you're doing. And if you're doing that, you sometimes are not aware of, you know, you come off the field sometimes and um, people say, well, what a brilliant game, what a, what a brilliant try that was. And you're thinking, you know, was it? Because you're not aware sometimes. It's only when you sit down and review the game yourself, you then appreciate, hell, that was one hell of a game. Or, you know, so because so, you're focused, you sometimes are not aware of, of those brilliant tries. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you know there will be a try, and you, you know, it's an open space, and you see a player sidestepping and beating three or four men and scoring a try, and then you do appreciate, oh, you know, that was a great try. Uh, or sometimes you you're standing next door to a massive hit going in, and you know, oh, what a tackle that was. So, occasionally you do, uh, but other occasions, you, you know, you, you may not be. Because I think the only game when I've come off and sort of thought to myself, when people said. That was one hell of a game, and you thought, yeah, it was. And that was probably the South Africa-New Zealand game in, in Ellis Park in 2013, where, <coughs> where many people say it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the best game of rugby that they've ever seen. Um, and a lot of people dubbed it the game of the century. And when I came off that 
field, you knew that you'd been in one hell of a test match. I didn't recall a lot of that game and some of those brilliant plays until I actually sat down and reviewed it. But I was aware that I'd been in one hell of a, of a test match. So, so yeah, you do get the best seat in the house, um, but sometimes when you really switched on and focus, you, you sometimes don't appreciate what's gone on until you look back at it, really, you know? And when you watch other sports, other codes, are you watching the umpires or the referees as well to see how they deal with situations? And are there any referees or officials in other sports that you really admire? Yeah, I watched quite a bit of the Football World Cup or the Soccer World Cup recently and sort of how the VAR and stuff would work there and how they would do it. Um, and I watched a little bit of the cricket as well. And, and I think cricket have got it right, I think. I, I think their use of the video technology I, at the moment, I think, is the best. They, they sort of changed it a couple of times over the years, you know, that it was over-used, under-used, and then now I think they've got it, I think they've got it spot on now, you know. I think a lot of the other sports, including rugby, can learn a lot from the way that at the umpires in, in cricket and the cricket, do, it is just yeah. for the big decisions and that's what you want, you know, not those 50-50s debatable ones, you just want it for the big decisions and, uh, and and I think cricket has got that pretty much spot on where, you know, the umpire will put something up to the video technology only when he thinks I really need to check this and then unless the video technology or the umpire can tell him any different, he'll come back and say, look, there's nothing really here that's telling me that you've got that wrong. Um, so stick with the original decision, and I, I like that way of doing it. So, um, yeah, so it, you know, I, I do take an interest to see how other sports do it because it's, you know, even after 32 years of refereeing and been refereeing Test matches, what for the best part of 15 years now, um, you still want to improve, you still want to learn, you still want to be better at what you do, and uh, you know, until the day I finish refereeing, I will still thrive to learn and, and to be better at, at 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 what I what I do. Um, so it is, you know, it's, I think it's important that we that we learn from other sports as well, as well as other other sports can learn from from rugby too. Absolutely. Here's a fun question for you: um, If you could choose your dream team, um, past or present referees, um, so a ref, two touchies, and a TMO, who are you selecting in that group? Oh, that's a, that's a that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, oh. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to say, as a referee, Derek Bevan. Derek Bevan is my TMO for um, for many years. Um, funnily enough, when when he finished refereeing at the international level and stepped down, I took his place on the panel in in Wales. So he finished, and then I took his place. Um, and then for the next... So between you and Derek, that's probably about 30-odd years of uh, refereeing. Well, it is, yeah. It, it, oh, God, yeah, it would be, yeah, definitely. Um, when Derek started, what, in the late... Derek started in the late 70s, I believe, yeah. So a long, long, long time, yeah, 40 years plus. So for most of my games, you know, I've refereed, what, 110 or 11 European Cup matches... And I would say probably for about 80 of those, he was my he was my TMO and my and my coach at the same time. So it it was great. I learned a lot from him. I learned from him on the field and and off the field as as well. Um, and yeah, so yeah, in any dream team of of refereeing, he would he would certainly be the referee. There's there's no doubt about that. Perfect. And, um, mate, you've just come from the gym, obviously, and uh, referees nowadays, you've got to be as fit as players. So just can you t give us a bit of insight into your training regime? Yeah. Um, we get fitness tested a couple of times a year. So, so back home within the Welsh Rugby Union, I'd get fitness tested two or three times a year. 
plus then I'll have to do a, a world rugby fitness test, which I just done um, a couple of weeks ago uh, in in our pre-season before starting back and coming out here. So um, I train. Now, bear in mind, you know, I'm, I'm 47 years of age, so my training regime now would be quite different to some of the young referees now who are on, like Ben O'Keefe, for example, from Wellington. Ben is only, what, 28, 29 years of age. So, so his training and stuff would probably be very different to somebody who was 20 years older than him. So um, I train a bit, train a bit different and, and you know, wisely now, I'd like to think. So I, I usually do two supervised uh, cardio sessions a week with my fitness coach uh, at the WIU, Base where the, where the national squad are based as well. So I'm up there at least twice a week training, doing cardio sessions, and then I usually I usually do then another two or three gym-based weights sessions, and then I may do some off-feet cardio session as well, depending when the games and stuff are, what the schedule and the travelling and stuff as well, because the travelling is a lot, um, especially in the pro pro 14, because I probably travel two three weekends out of every month um, so there's a lot of traveling as well so that takes its toll on the body um, so yeah I probably at least five sessions of, of training a week plus a game session and, and obviously some recovery stuff as well because you know there's an expectation you know and if you if you're not fit now you can't referee a test match level that, that, that is for sure um, you know gone are the days where you referee to be fit you know now you've got to be fit to, to referee um, so the fitness touchwood is, is is still good. Yeah, I mean, you know it's just no issues touchwood with my with my fitness. Um, I passed the fitness test requirement that I that I needed to do. Um, and bearing in mind, you know that's that's the same as what somebody at 28 years of age has got to do. So I think that's a bit unfair actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the fitness is 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 good. So I just got to maintain that now and manage that for the next sort of 12, 18 months, two years, whatever long you know I'll continue to referee. Oh, you're looking a good nick, mate, so it's uh, working so far. Hey, so, refereed a lot around the world. Um, now, what is, the, I guess, the best stadium or best atmosphere you've experienced? Well, it's going to be uh, in Wales, obviously. It's going to be the, the Millennium Stadium or the Principality Stadium now. Um, and the atmosphere there as well, I think. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to referee two games there in, in the World Cup in 2015. You... You very rarely get an opportunity to referee a test match at your own venue. And I was very lucky in the World Cup where I refereed Ireland against France in the pool games. And then I refereed um, France against New Zealand in the quarter-final uh, in, in the Millennium Stadium back then, Principality Stadium now, where, where probably New Zealand played probably the, one of the best games they've ever played. They, they just clicked that day and scored 60 points. Um, and, and, the, and the French played as well you know they went out there and played and they scored what 20 20 points plus them themselves and it was even though the, the score was one-sided um it was a great test match a wonderful wonderful the atmosphere was electric and the same in the island france game you know the the atmosphere there's a huge amount of french people in in that test match and a huge amount of irish people in it as well so and the roof was shut, and the atmosphere was absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. And um, so that is my my favourite stadium. And, and I know I may be a bit biased as as a Welshman, but um, because it's in the centre of Cardiff, um, the way it's been built, you know, seventy five thousand people in there. You're right on the field. The atmosphere. And when my hymn Lad Venade is being sung, our national anthem, you know, it's 
when you talk about things inspiring people, you know, if, if any kid would be there or even listening at home, listening to my hymn Lad being sung before a Wales international rugby match in the Principality Stadium, if that doesn't inspire you to want to represent your country, um, then I don't know whatever will. So um, it is, that, that would be my favourite stadium. Look, I, I, I love refereeing. I just love the game. I love being part of the game, uh, a small part of it, but yet again a part of it. And um, I enjoy every stadium, you know, from from Newlands in Cape Town to, to Eden Park and, uh, you know, to, to the Suncorp in, in Brisbane, to to, uh, to Stade de France, to, to the Aviva, to Twickenham, to Murrayfield, you know, the, the beautiful setting of the stadiums in Rome. And uh, every stadium has, and country has, this uniqueness about it, really. And there are many, many wonderful stadiums all over the world. But, but yeah, when I, if I have to pick one, then uh, it's, it's going to be the Principality Stadium in, in, in Cardiff. And Cardiff definitely has to be on every rugby fan's bucket list, I think, to attend a test match there. Now, if we flick the switch a little bit, how about grassroots? Do you ever love to go back to the grassroots and just to a club ground, you know, just stripped back, not even a grandstand there, just a, just a few people on the sideline? And do, do you still experience that? Yeah, definitely, because to me, that's the most important part of the game. You know, that's, that's where we all start. No matter what you achieve in life as a, as a player, as an official or an administrator in the game, no matter how high up that ladder you go to be, to be the best in the world at, at what you do as an individual or as a team, we all start in the same place. We all start in that local community grassroots level of the game. And to me, that is the most important part of the game because without that, the kids just won't be playing rugby. Um, now, yes, it works both ways. You need the international level to inspire the kids to be like their heroes and play for the country, to want them to go out and play, but you need the platform for them to start as well. So, you know, after the World Cup final in 2015, um, the following week, you know, I didn't have a weekend off. I went to referee... Uh, a local community game between two um, grassroots rugby clubs in, in Wales and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, so yeah, every chance I get now, if I got a ref if I got a weekend off, I, I tend to go and referee a kids game or a local game. And, and actually when I get back from here next week, um, I get back home on Monday uh, after doing the, the, te the test match between uh, New Zealand and, and the Springboks on Saturday here in Wellington. I get home on Monday night and then on the Saturday I'm refereeing a local game in, in, in Wales. Um, so I just love the game, you know. So uh, if, if I get a free Saturday, which, which is not very often, I, I'd like to give that time up to put something back into the game that I've been, that I've been very, very fortunate to get so much out of. It, if it, you know, it, I, I owe more to rugby as a sport than, than, than rugby will, will ever, ever row to me. And uh, I think it's hugely important that, that we put back into something that we've all been very fortunate to, to get so much out of. And um, we, live in a, we live in a society and today where, where too many people ask, what, what can society do for me? Rather, what I can do or put back into the society or the community that I've been very fortunate to get so much out over the years. And uh, I think whatever you achieve as an individual within a team, whatever it may be, whatever walk of life, in sport or in anything else, whatever you achieve in life, you should never, ever forget where you've come from. And never, ever forget the people who have probably given you the opportunity and helped you to achieve what you've achieved and many of those people particularly at early on in your career whatever it may be 
many, many of those people would have been doing that for the love of, of the game, for what they do. You know, the, the coach who coaches the local kids' game for nothing on the weekend, the, the guy who marks the field or makes sure the changing rooms is clean for you. And, uh, you know, it's hugely important. We never, ever forget that. So never, ever forget, you know, where you've come from. And, uh, and that's why I think it's important to, to put back into the community that, that I've been very, very fortunate to get so much out of. It's fantastic. And do you have a message um, for any young females or males out there listening who may be thinking about picking up the whistle? Yes, it's look, it probably is the next best thing to playing, I would say. You know, you get the best seat in the house. You're right next door to the action. You're right next door to those big hits and those wonderful moments in, in the sport. And, you know, you're part of the occasion. You're not the most important part of it, and that's important to remember, but yet again, you are a part of it, um, and an important part of it, but not the most important part. The most important part of the game are the players. That's what you're there for, to enable them to, to play the game within the guidelines that the laws of, of rugby are set out. Um, and <coughs> it can be hugely, hugely enjoyable. And the, le- the message for me would be, look, if you, f- if you think that refereeing's for you, give it a go. Definitely give it a go because, you know, it, I'm sure it, if, if it's in you to become a referee, then you will look back with fondness over the years of, of being a part of this wonderful game of ours. But do it for the right reason. Don't pick up the whistle because you think, I want to be famous, I want to be a referee that's on the telly, I, I want to referee a World Cup final. Yes, that ambition is great, but first of all, before you pick up the whistle, you need to do it for the right reason. And the right reason is that you're passionate about the game, you want to be involved in the game, and you're passionate about refereeing, and you're doing something because you want to enjoy being part of that game. Refereeing is not for everybody. Um, you may pick up the whistle and decide, oh, this is not for me, because you know there's something inside you that allows you to deal with those difficult times when you know the world's against you, a game has gone against you and you just haven't you know for whatever reason performed on that day and you know everybody's against you and, uh, and and those times you know can can knock you down but if you're really in it for the right reason and that is for the love of the game then you'll you'll shake that off and, and get back on back on the horse so for me look definitely if you think refereeing is for you definitely give it a go but make sure you do it for the right reason and the right reason first of all is for the love of the game and you're going to do me something that that you enjoy Everything that happens after that will, will be for the right reasons then and will, will, will fall in, in, into place. And a quick plug here, 0800 referee if you're in New Zealand and you're considering picking up the whistle, dial that number and find out more info. And now final question, um, Nigel. Look, 30-odd years you've been refereeing. What's next for you? What's next on this refereeing journey? Well, the next thing is, is, is a test match on Saturday and, uh, you know, I need to go out there and perform on, on a Saturday to the best of, of, of my ability. Um, and, you know, then after that, it's just going to be continuous hard work then for the next sort of season or so and hopefully in putting the performances in that will entitle me to get uh, picked to go to the World Cup in 2019, hopefully, if my performances are good enough over the next sort of eight months or so. And then um, after the World Cup, hopefully if I get selected to go to the World Cup, you know, my, my, my contract sort of comes to an end uh, in June 2020 uh, with the Welsh Rugby Union. And then, you know, I'll sit back and take note then of, of where I am, I guess, and see, see how the body is, if, if I'm still, you know, fit and healthy enough and still have the, 
the love for the game to continue refereeing at whatever level that may be. We, you know, I, I may carry on and, and, and see where we're at, but you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when, when, we, when we come to it. And then whenever the day comes when you know, refereeing is, is, is no longer uh, there for me, um, I don't really know what I'd be doing, to be honest. I will definitely put something back into the game, whether it be at uh, community level or at the elite end of the game or the both. So I definitely will, will do that. Um, I do quite a bit of TV work and stuff back home. Uh, I do quite a lot of speaking and stuff as well. And so continue to do some of that, I think. Um, and then see, see, what, see what happens, you know, and uh, what opportunities are there, I guess. Um, I've also sort of bought a bit of land back home, so I'm just going to start doing some sort of some farming and stuff as well, keep some beef cattle and stuff like that as well, because I used to work on a farm when I was a kid and brought up in a rural community as well, so I sort of love the sort of agricultural side of things, so that's something then I will be able to spend more time on, on doing, and something I'll start doing now in the next sort of six or seven months, really getting that up and running as well, only a bit of small holding, you know, only probably maybe no more than about sort of 30 head of cattle or something maybe, you know, beef cattle and then see, see what comes in after that really, so um haven't really thought much about it, to be honest. So we'll see, see how the next sort of 12, 18 months go and then take, take stock after that, I guess. Nigel, thanks a lot for your time today on the All Blacks podcast. Look, we look forward to seeing you out in the middle for hopefully a couple more years to come at least. And, um, you know, you can always retire to Nelson if uh, you're looking for somewhere to go. <laughs> yeah, look, it's the same when you go to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand and sort of, you know, the, the countries. You know, it's a, they're great countries, and, and I could see why people want to go and, and live there. But I can also see why a lot of people don't go and live there, because unfortunately, your family and friends are very, very far away from you. So, um, to me, the most imp- two most important things in life is is health uh, and your integrity and morals as a person. And also, as well, the other most important thing in life, I think, are your family. Your family and friends uh, are the most important thing in, in, in life. So my family are hugely important to me. I, I lost my mum, what, nine years ago now. My dad is still alive. He's a good health touchwood at, uh, at 83 years of age. So, um, you know, I want to spend as much time as I can with him over the, over the coming years and spend time with my family as well. I haven't got any children, unfortunately. Um, those are the sort of cards I've been dealt in life, I guess. Um, but I got a lot of, you know, got a three or four godchildren, so I want to sort of spend time seeing them growing up and spend time with them. A couple of my cousins and godchildren now playing rugby as well, so I want to spend time watching them. So, yeah, um, you know, unfortunately Nelson will be a bit too far away for me to go and settle down to want to do those important things in life, which I think are are the most important things. I, I think. But uh, if I could move, um, you know, if uh, and if, if I, you know had to go and live or you know had the choice to go and live somewhere else then yeah Nelson would be one of those places because it's a lovely lovely place as, as well as some other places in the world as well thanks Nigel and all the best this weekend mate cheers thanks thank you very much <laughs>